Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. Hello, everyone. I'm Sierra. And I'm Ashley. And this is your Weekly Weekly Dose of Wicked. Thanksgiving week. Yeah. It's almost turkey day. Gobble, gobble. My favorite day of the year. Is it your favorite day of the year? It is. I was looking for my stretchy pants today. <laughs> Although if I'm being completely honest, this Thanksgiving, not so excited for. Well, that's your own fault. It is. Why is that here? Because I volunteered to cook Thanksgiving dinner for the first time in my life. You're going to do a phenomenal job. Uh, yesterday, did I tell you this already? My oldest child yesterday, we had a conversation about it. Did I tell you about this? No. We were really talking about things. I don't really remember why it came up, but she said, is Auntie Ash and Papa going to come over in time to watch the parade and the dog show with us? And I said, "Mm, I'm not sure, but uh, I don't know. We'll see. And she was like, oh, I'm so excited that everyone's coming to our house for Thanksgiving. And I was like, yeah, I'm a little terrified. She was like, why? What are you making? I said, well, I'm making the turkey. She was like, you are? And I was like, yeah. She was like, what else? And I was like, I'm making everything. And she was like, but normally Nana makes everything. And I was like, yeah, I know. But this year I volunteered. And she was like, I can see why you're nervous. (laughs) Thanks, kid. (laughs) Oh, you're going to do great. You're going to knock it out of the park. It'll be fine. Hopefully. But anyway, happy Thanksgiving to our U.S. listeners. If you're not in the U.S., happy Wednesday. Yeah, because I guess you guys don't celebrate Thanksgiving. That's sad for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, do they probably have comparable holidays, though, right? I have no idea. I don't know how the world works. I don't know. Let us know if you guys celebrate a similar thanks- holiday of Thanksgiving where you just eat a bunch of food. And are thankful. And veg out all day. And are thankful for things. I don't know. If you're thankful, grateful, and blessed. Y'all. <laughs> um, yeah, Allison said earlier her coworker was like, reminds me again, why is your week short next week? And she was like, uh, Thanksgiving. And she was like, <laughs> Canadians. Yeah. <laughs> Does she not get a short week? The other coworker? No, they only get vacation based off of like the country. So like her work has like an, a US office and a Canadian office. Right. And so like the Canadian office celebrates Canadian holidays and the US office celebrates US holidays. So like in Canada, apparently, this just goes to show that I do know some things about other countries. So Canada has like an entire week, maybe two weeks in the summer. They just get mandatory vacation. Really? Yeah. So Allison like has to work. I'm going to move to Canada. <laughs> right? All of her Canadian coworkers just get like a mandatory, a mandatory two-week vacation. And I'm pretty sure it's paid. Oh, that's nice. They just get like two weeks off for whatever they want. So yeah, pretty cool. Hmm. No, they get vacation based off of their country. So. Is this two weeks in addition to their other vacation? Like their accrued yeah. vacation? Yes. Huh. Must be nice. Oh. I don't know. I don't know how it works. Me either. Let us uh, know. Yeah. Let us know how your holidays work, guys. Yeah. In other countries, let us know. Let us know if you have a holiday equivalent to Thanksgiving and what kind of like mandatory vacations you get. 
So what do we got going on? Uh, nothing again. Nothing again. Been a slow, slow time over here. So just the usual. Yeah, as usual, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review if you haven't done so already. Um, head on over to Facebook and Instagram, give us a like and a follow so you can see what's going on there. Join the Patreon. Yeah, head on over to Patreon where you can join one of our four wicked tiers. We've got the slightly wicked for $3, the moderately wicked for $5, the awesomely wicked for $7, and the extraordinarily wicked for $10. So do your thing. Head on over. You like what you see. Join it up. If not, that's cool. Whatever. I don't care. That's pretty much all we got. That's it. Uh, So when this airs, it's the day before Thanksgiving, so it's November 23rd, which means we're getting closer and closer to that Christmas surprise we've got brewing for you, so... Can't wait to let you know how that is. Yeah, when are we going to announce that? Well, I was actually going, I was going to tell you like, oh, we could probably announce it this week, but I think we should wait till next week. Yeah, probably until we have more under our belt. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Probably a good idea. Alrighty. Well, let's get into it. Sounds good. Let's get into it, shall we? What have you prepared for me? You said I was going to like it. Is it yeah, a family annihilator? treat for you. It is. Yeah. When you told me I was going to like it, I knew that's what it was. I don't yeah, like family, family annihilators, Ashley. I'm not a sociopath. Okay, but you find them the most interesting. I didn't say you liked them. I just said you were going to, this was a treat for you. It's a treat for you and I hate it. I find Family Annihilators interesting because they terrify me. Yes. Um, I just want to forewarn everyone that I absolutely hate this case. I hate everything about it. I really wanted to pick a new one, but I've done a lot of research. I put in a lot of time, so I decided not to, but I'm not happy. Okay, well tell us in your most grumpy voice how much you hate it. Go ahead. Okay, also, uh, you know, trigger warning, family annihilator, children die. So, that's not your thing. Skip this week. Alrighty then. So, on the morning of a Tuesday, July 8th, 2003, Kelsey Spann went to check on her friend, Joni Harper, and her children after she hadn't heard or seen from her in two days. This was unusual. This was her best friend. When Kelsey arrived at the home, she found the whole Harper family slaughtered. Kelsey immediately called 911. Frantically, she reported, My sister, my best friend, she's dead. She's lying on the bed. Oh my God, please help me. Officers arrived at the scene to find the back sliding glass door partially ajar. Inside the home, they entered the bedroom where they found 39-year-old Joni Harper with gunshot and stab wounds. Four-year-old, I'm not sure if it's Marcus or Marquise. M-A-R-Q-U-E-S. How would you say that? Probably Marquise, but I don't know. So some things, so like, you know, I watched a couple shows, I listened to some podcasts, I googled how to say it, and it's uh, really like hit or miss. Half of them say Marcus, half of them say Marquise. Okay. So I'm going to go with Marcus. Okay. So they found four-year-old Marcus Harper with a gunshot wound and a severed finger. And 23-month-old Lindsay Harper with a gunshot wound all lying on the same bed. That's awful. Yes. Down the hallway, 70-year-old Ernestine Harper was found laying on the ground with gunshot wounds and a revolver laying next to her. So they thought maybe this was a murder-suicide. Was this the mother? Grandmother? Yes. Like Yeah, the grandmother. So it was like Ernestine was the grandmother, Joni was the mother, and then the two kids. But like Ernestine was Joni's mother. Yes. Okay. I just wasn't sure with the age because you said like 39 and 70 something. So I wasn't, I mean, that could really be either. Right. Yeah. So no, Ernestine was 
the grandmother. Joni's mother. And then, yes, Joni. Okay. Was her daughter. Okay. So they thought possibly murder-suicide. On on inspection of the scene, there were 22 caliber bullet casings found around the home. So this didn't match the revolver. So that wasn't either wasn't the murder weapon or it was not the only murder weapon. The homicide unit was called in and arrived 20 minutes later. They did a full sweep of the house and discovered another body of a six-week-old baby, Marshall Harper, who was on the bed hidden underneath pillows and blankets with a gunshot wound. My gosh. I know. Six weeks? I I hated it. Yeah, six weeks. Ashley, what is wrong with you? I told you I hated this case. Six weeks, 23 months, and four. Yeah. First of all, kudos to Joni for having kids that close together. That sounds horrible to me. It sounds crazy. I mean, that's very close in age, but <gasps> six weeks old? Oh. With a gunshot wound. Hey, like, who shoots? First of all, who shoots kids to begin with? Right. I mean, who kills kids to begin with? Right, but piece of trash. Yeah. Poor yeah, told babies. You, hated, hated the case. Now I'm going to talk in my grumpy voice. Okay. Not really. You were already talking grumpily. That's your normal voice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a ray of sunshine. I don't know what you mean. I'm going to be grumpy now. I'm sorry. So there were no signs of forced entry, but the house was ransacked. So possibly, in my theme of the last few episodes, robbery gone wrong. I really hate sliding glass doors for this reason. Yeah? Yeah, they really sketch me out. Why? I feel like they're very easy to come through to be murdered. I guess. You got to get one of those pieces of wooden dowels that you put on the floor, you know, so you can't open the door. That's what I had when I had a sliding glass door. Yep. Me too. I've only lived in one house with a sliding glass door ever. Yeah, I did too. And I was in an apartment and I was on the second floor. So it really wasn't a concern, but I still have one of those wooden nails. So I had one on a second floor apartment in Cornelius, but then I also, that double wide we lived in in Statesville had one, remember? Yeah. So in Cornelius, we were on the second floor. I wasn't really concerned about that. But in Statesville, I had one. Yeah, I remember that. And Granny used to regularly not put the wooden dowel in. And I used to yell at her. Yeah, I don't blame you. Because she would go in and out and smoke. Yeah. Made me so mad. Anyway, doesn't matter. This isn't about me. But I just hate sliding glass doors for that reason. Yeah. No, I agree. They suck. So they continued searching for evidence. They found all the valuables in the house were left behind. Both of the women's purses were dumped upside down, but their wallets were still there. Cash was in plain sight. All the credit cards were still there. The TVs were still there. Jewelry, etc. All left behind. So it was determined that not... A robbery, but most likely the scene was staged to look like a robbery. Makes sense. So, little background. Ernestine and Joni Harper were well-known and loved by their community. Ernestine was known for being an activist in her community. She worked hard to help the underdog, and she fought social injustice. She often worked with dangerous people who were wronged by the community, such as murderers, gang members, and other felons. Because of this, she was just always paranoid that something had happened to her or her family. She thought someone that she worked with, their enemies, or people in the community that disagreed with what she was doing could hurt her or her family. So that's why she had the revolver, to protect herself and her family. Joni grew up playing basketball and dreamed of being an NBA official. She worked for the Pac-10 for a few years before settling down. I'm going to be honest with you, I have no idea what that is, but I'm going to assume it's something to do with the NBA. Yeah, I don't know what that is either. She had her first child, Marcus, in 1988 and married his father, Vincent Brothers, in 2000. Joni and Vincent both worked for the school system where they met. Vincent was the vice principal and Joni was the school supervisor. 
She also was a referee to the basketball teams there. Jenny was known for her gentle spirit, generous nature, and forgiving ways. She was a very strong Christian and was known for living the way God called her to live. Church was a huge part of her life. Vincent was popular with the community as well. After high school, he went to college and joined the Marines. He then moved to California to pursue his master's in education. This is where he met Joni, and they quickly fell in love. They worked together at the school and in their free time helped the children of their community. They would often walk the kids home who needed it, and one of their most notorious philanthropy efforts was raising money to buy bikes for the children of the community that had to walk to and from school. Kelsey Spann was questioned first since she was the one who discovered the family. She was Joni's best friend. She grew up with Joni and said that she was more of a sister than a friend. They were really close and considered each other family. She said that the last time she saw the Harper family was at an after-church meal on Sunday, July 6th at Black Angus Steakhouse. She said the Harper family's normal Sunday routine was to go to the morning church service, go to lunch, go back home, rest, nap for a while, and then return to church that night for an evening service. She said that the family didn't show up to the evening service that Sunday. She thought it was strange. Church was a huge part of Joni's life, but she didn't find it super worrisome. Joni had just had a new baby. So little Marshall was only six weeks old, and it was the first time that she had actually brought him and all three children to church. So pretty much everyone just thought maybe she just was overwhelmed. It was too much. She couldn't make it back to night service. They didn't think that big of a deal of it. However, when Kelsey still hadn't heard from her by Tuesday morning, she got really worried and went to check on her. She used her key to get in the front door, and that's when she found the family. The coroner's report showed the contents in their stomach were consistent with food they would have eaten at Black Angus, like steak, potatoes, rolls. Okay. So it was determined that their time of death was approximately 1 p.m. on Sunday, July 6th. When did you say that she came there and found them? July 8th. So it been two days. Tuesday. Tuesday. Okay. Yep. It was determined that they all died from gunshot wounds. Ernestine was shot twice. All of the children were shot once. And Joni was shot five times and stabbed five times. So overkill. So, yeah, overkill. Joni was the target of the attack, and it must have been personal. Yes. Pretty quickly, the Bakerfield police received a call from a police department in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. The North Carolina police said that they had Vincent Brothers, the husband, mm-hmm. his mother, and his brother at the station. They had caught wind of what happened to his family and went to the local police station to find out more information. Why did the children not have his last name? Um, They had like an on and off again relationship. Okay. So the first child, they weren't married. Okay. When she had him. So maybe she wanted all of her kids to have the same last name. I don't know. Makes sense. I just wondered why. I kind of thought, I mean, I don't want to be like sounding judgmental, but I kind of thought maybe they had different fathers. Like, no, he's there. He's all of their dads. So I just thought that was kind of weird. And also, like, she didn't change her name, but they were married. I don't know. I mean, it's well, I mean, this was 98, right? When they first met. So, no, she had the baby in. Yeah. When they she had the baby in 98. Right. Yeah. I guess it was just because, like, they weren't married when she had the first baby. I don't know. I didn't really look into that. I don't know. I was going to say, like, well, it's 2022. So, you know, but this wasn't. I don't know. I just thought I just didn't know if you knew why she didn't change her name, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. No, I would assume it was probably because the first baby she wasn't married to him and they had like an on and off again relationship no it makes sense and i mean it's different strokes for different folks i mean i wasn't married when i had my oldest either but i still gave her jacob's last name but we were on again off again right actually i never changed my name my name was literally sierra harrington for all three of my children's births (laughs) yeah so i don't know 
The California police immediately flew to North Carolina to talk with Vincent, but Vincent wasn't able to talk to the police. He was inconsolable at the police station. He was hysterically sobbing and crying and screaming. He kept asking for his mother and asking for a trash can that he was going to throw up. He was just too distraught to answer any questions that the police had for him. They attempted to calm him down and talk to him, but they couldn't, and they ended up releasing him. Okay. So the police talked to his brother, Melvin, who was at the police station with him. Melvin says that Vincent was on a trip to visit him. Vincent flew into Columbus, Ohio on July 2nd. He rented a car at the airport, and he stayed with Melvin until July 8th. They then drove together to see their mother in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. During the questioning, Melvin kept changing small details of their days together. Not anything big, but just small things here and there would change each time he told the story. Huh. Because the fact that Vincent couldn't answer anything himself and Melvin couldn't keep his story straight, Vincent became a person of interest. They looked into Vincent phones, Vincent's phone records, and his phone was pinging off of towers in Columbus, Ohio. And his credit card was used in multiple stores in Columbus on Sunday, July 6th. Okay. So, they gave him the alibi he needed. He was in Ohio. It wasn't him. I don't think he was in Ohio, though. We'll see. He returned back to Bakersfield, California, for the funeral of his family. He was not suspicious. Normal grieving husband. The funeral had about 3,000 attendees, which I think is crazy. Yeah, that's a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. 3,000 mm. people. I mean, it's an awful, awful homicide. So, I mean, I could see even people that didn't know them, like, wanting to come out and support them. Right. So. Yeah. I just thought that was pretty crazy. 3,000. I didn't look into, like, the population or anything of Bakersfield. Maybe it's, like, a huge town. I don't know. But, mm-hmm. I don't know. 3,000 people just seemed like a lot to me. No, it's a lot. Yeah. So, the police started looking into other leads, but they all kept coming. The murder-suicide theory was eliminated, the revolver was not recently fired, as there was no gunpowder residue on the gun, and there were bullets from another gun at the scene. The robbery theory was eliminated, nothing was taken from Everyone they talked to related to Ernestine and her activism was cleared. They looked into reports from either Ernestine or Joni about any threats or incidents, and they couldn't find anything. They had a lot of cooperation from the community which was pretty unusual in this area. There was a really high distrust in police, but people were just being super helpful because they loved the Harper family and wanted to get justice for them. Right. Even with all of the cooperation, they found nothing. So again, they started talking to Vincent. They were looking into his past. They found that Vincent and Joni were separated at the time of the murders due to Vincent's infidelity. He had been cheating on Joni for at least the last six months. Vincent would often be gone for days with no explanation. He had multiple girlfriends, all of which didn't know about each other, and some didn't know about Joni. All of that led to their recent separation. And they had actually been separated once before. Soon after they got married, the first time in 2000, Joni filed for an annulment. She said that it was based on fraud, that she didn't know the kind of person Vincent was, and that he had been married twice before and withheld that information from her. Sometime later, I'm not sure exactly when, they got back together and got remarried. Okay, Joni. Yeah, I don't know. And this is really, like, quick, too. Like, they got married in 2000, then they got annulled, then they got remarried, and then the murder was in 2003. I mean, I would say, like, okay, they were young and dumb, but, like, you said she was 39. 
yeah. in 2003. So I mean, I'm not saying that like 39 is old by any means, even that at the beginning of the relationship in, I mean, 1998, if she was 39 in 2003, then in 1998, she would have been 34. I mean, she's still like mid thirties. I feel like by that point, we should be grown up enough to not be like playing these stupid games. I would say, I mean, if you told me like, oh, they were 18 years old, they got married, then they got it an old, and then they got back together and then they had another kid. Like, okay. But yeah, I don't know what was going on there. Again, I'm not saying that's old. I mean, I'm 30. So, I mean, I don't think that's old by any means. I just feel like at that point, you're old enough to know, grow up a little bit, you know? I mean, you got kids yeah, in this mess. Too. You got kids in this mess you got yeah. going on. Yeah. Okay. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. So they found a report of domestic violence against Vincent from his ex-wife and mother of his first child. They were married for four months. They brought her in for questioning. She said that he had disappeared for several days. And when he returned, she questioned him about where he'd been, and he became violent. He said it was none of her business and not to ask him that ever again. She said that Vincent had a temper and he would just flip into a completely different person and become scary. He was charged with a misdemeanor for domestic violence and went to jail for six days and was put on probation. You don't like that? I don't like this. I don't like much of this at all. Well, I don't like it either, so we're on the same team. I don't, where did you, where'd you find this? I don't remember. Okay. I watched, um, what's the show on NBC? Dateline? Maybe. Is Dateline? I watched the Dateline episode. Is Dateline on NBC? I don't know. I don't know either. Let me go to my sources up here. Yeah, it's on NBC. Dateline NBC. Yep. doesn't say what the show is called. Okay. It doesn't matter. I just wondered. This isn't a normal case for you. No. Anyways, um, whatever. Dateline NBC... Um, Family Massacre. Mm-hmm. Watch that. Yeah, that's my show. Um, yeah, I watched it. It was good. <sighs> I listened to a couple podcasts. She also told of a time Vincent sued to get his child support lowered. He said that he was having another child and he couldn't afford to keep paying so much child support. The judge ruled against him and actually increased his support. Good. So this gave the police a possible motive. Vincent was in the middle of a divorce, which meant child support for three more children. Mm -hmm. If he couldn't afford child support on his first kid, then he definitely couldn't afford child support on four kids. Right. They brought the next wife in for questioning. She said that there was some abuse with her as well, but no formal charges were filed. I was just going to say, I think there's a special place in hell for people that don't want to pay child support. Yeah, I agree. Really pisses me off. I mean, I get if like you really can't afford it. I understand that. 
but I don't know if that's his case. I don't know if it's his case either. And I also understand if you can't afford it, but like people who like legit just don't want to pay it at all. Oh, right. Well, that's not what it said. He just wanted it lowered. Anyway. So there were no reports of violence with Joni, but his second wife didn't report any either. So it's not impossible that he was abusive with Joni as well, but no official claims of that either. Right. So the detectives looked into Vincent's alibi again. His credit card and phone were in Columbus, but maybe he wasn't. They got their receipts from the stores that his credit card was used at, and his signature was on all of the receipts. Okay. Next, they received the surveillance footage from the stores, and the person on the footage using the card wasn't Vincent, but his brother, Melvin. What a piece of trash. (laughs) I don't know why you're laughing. That was just a little dramatic. They're both pieces of trash. I mean, yeah. That means probably Vincent wasn't there, and that means his brother lied. Yeah. I love you, Ashley, but if you're accused of murdering your husband and children, I don't have your back. I'm sorry. Your husband, okay. But your children, no. (laughs) That's where you draw the line. I do. I would hope the same would go for me. I mean, yes, for sure, if you killed your kids. So they brought Melvin in for questioning again, and he said that Vincent was with him all weekend. He denied everything. He didn't use the credit cards. It was Vincent, not him. They must have just mistaked him on the surveillance video. Okay, dummy. The police threatened Melvin. They said if he didn't tell them that they would arrest him for accessory to murder. So he admits that maybe it was him that used the credit cards. Well, yeah, no shit. He said that Vincent asked him to buy certain items on certain days with his credit card and to just sign his name. Because he was getting an alibi together. Right. He says that Vincent was with him in Columbus, though. No, he wasn't, liar. They just weren't together. So he was using his credit card, but he was still in Columbus. He's a liar. After a pretty long interview with harsh questioning, Melvin broke down. He said that Vincent did arrive to his house on July 2nd, and he was with him all day on the 3rd, but he didn't actually see him from the 4th to the 7th. He said that Vincent was with their other brother, Trey, on the 5th, and other than that, he was in Columbus. He just wasn't sure exactly what he was doing. They brought Vincent in for questioning again, and this time he brought his lawyer. He denied everything, and he said that he was in Ohio. He had purchases, receipts, witnesses, and even turned over his phone so they could check his location. All of which they already did. But they didn't have any solid evidence against Vincent. And he refused to tell them anything. They had to release him. One thing that the police found like super odd was that Vincent never asked what happened to his family in either interview. Um, I mean, maybe that's odd, but maybe he heard what happened. So he just didn't have to ask. Maybe, but... He said that he heard what happened all the way in North Carolina from, I don't know, I think he said his family. So, I don't know, maybe. So, the police put Vincent under surveillance. They were watching him, and they actually used wiretapping to try to gain more evidence. He figured out he was under surveillance, and so he kept trying to evade them. So, police got nothing from their surveillance. But they felt certain that Vincent was to blame. They talked to the rental car company, who confirmed Vincent rented the car from them on July 2nd and turned it in on July 11th. They said he rented the car with 2,709 miles on the car, and he returned it with 8,248 miles. So he drove to California. That's a long drive. Yeah. So in the nine days that Vincent had, he drove 5,425 miles. Yeah, that's a long, that's a lot of driving. So that was what they needed to prove 
that he went to California that weekend to murder his family. So they reached out to the community for anyone who saw Vincent in Bakersfield that weekend. A few people came forward to say that they did see him but couldn't give a solid time. Um, two men came forward to say that they saw Vincent outside the Harper house pacing around looking nervous for about 20 minutes on Sunday but couldn't remember an exact time that it happened. A woman who worked at Rite Aid said that she saw and interacted with Vincent on July 4th in the early evening, but that was it. Just a few unreliable witnesses that couldn't really give a time. Right. They believed that they knew the timeline of events. They believe Vincent flew from California to Columbus, Ohio on July 2nd, where he rented the car and went to his brother Melvin's house. He then gave his phone and credit card to Melvin on July 3rd or 4th. He drove 2,300 miles to Bakersfield. He murdered his family on July 6th. Then on July 7th, he drove another 20 back to Ohio. Vincent and his brother then drove 650 miles to Elizabeth to see their mother, arriving on July 8th. So the total of that is 5,300 miles. Right. Well, 5,350 miles. Okay. And you remember he returned the car with like 54-something. Mm-hmm. So, again, Vincent denied all of it. He said that he drove him and his brother Trey all around Ohio on Saturday. They toured local colleges. They drove to a basketball game. They went to dinner. They went to a jazz concert. He drove every time they went anywhere over his week there. So he drove 5,000 so, miles. So he must have just put that on in his activities with his brother. Also, how expensive was that rental car? Right. That's what I was thinking. I've never rented a car. I don't know. Do they charge you miles on a rental car? I don't know. I think so, but I don't know. I've never rented a car. I don't know. So he also told the police how he was in an accident. So that could prove that he was in Ohio. Mm -hmm. There were no injuries or damage. So they didn't actually report the accident. So this didn't prove anything. Vincent said he was driving with his brother Trey when a young boy on a bike drove straight into his car. No damages. No one was hurt. So that was it. They did find a witness who said that he saw the accident. He told the same story. Said that he wasn't positive it was Vincent, but the man from the accident did resemble him. And the car was definitely a teal sedan, which is what Vincent rented. However, the police found another man who said that it was actually him in the accident. That he was the one driving. And he had a very similar appearance to Vincent. And he also drove a teal sedan. Okay. But the boy that was riding the bike and hit into the car, they never could identify him because there was no police report. Right. So they couldn't use him as a witness. So it was just like a he said, he said. Right. But there had to be a way to prove that Vincent was in California at the time of the murders. So they worked with the FBI. They took the rental car apart and used the grill, air filters, and radiator to test for bugs. Okay. Dr. Lynn Kimsey, who was an entomologist with UC Davis, mm -hmm. was an expert on this. She said that she never used a car to identify bugs, but that was her life's work, was identifying bugs, so she felt confident that she could. Okay. They found a lot of bugs that suggested that the majority of the driving took place at night. They identified two bugs, a wasp and a grasshopper, which were indigenous to the southwest U.S., and they were only west of the Rocky Mountains. So there's no way that they could have been in Ohio okay. or North Carolina. It was a relatively new car when he got it. So they looked into all the other people who had rented the car. And none of them said that they traveled farther west than Michigan. 
So it had to be him that went farther than the Rocky Mountains. Right. Well, and also the amount of mileage. I mean, there's no way they could have really. Right. I mean. Right. That's a lot of, lot of mileage. Right. Okay. So on April 30th, 2004, Vincent was arrested for five counts of first degree. Uh, the trial did not begin until January of 2007. Okay. Which, I don't know. That seems like a long time to me. I agree. Three years until the trial started. Mm-hmm. So the trial lasted four months. It was the biggest criminal trial Bakersfield had seen in decades. There were 137 witnesses called to testify. The prosecution told the story they believed happened. Vincent drove to Bakersfield, California, leaving his phone and credit card with his brother Melvin. They believed he entered the house through the back door and waited for them to return home from church. Once they were asleep in the bed, he shot Joni first, then shot Marshall and Lindsay. The noise from this caused Ernestine to wake up to come protect her family with her the revolver. Vincent made his way down the hallway to shoot her before she could shoot him. He then returned to the room where four-year-old Marcus was awake and scared and in fear bit his own finger off to the bone. <gasps> so that's why he had that partially severed finger. Oh, I know. Awful. Maybe you want to throw up. Yeah. He finished off his rage killing by stabbing Joni five times. Vincent then drove back to Ohio and then to North Carolina to continue having this alibi of his family road trip. But the prosecution's case was only built on circumstantial evidence. They had no physical evidence to put him at the scene. Right. They had no murder weapon. Right. I mean, we've seen people convicted on less. Yeah. The evidence presented was the bugs in the car, miles on the car, the settings of him in Bakersfield, the motive of him not being able to afford child support on three more kids. The prosecution worked hard to establish Melvin as a liar and untrustworthy, so the defense couldn't use him as their main witness of him being in Ohio. The defense argued that his alibi wasn't false. He was in Ohio the whole time, and they couldn't prove that he drove to California. They said it was physically impossible. He would have had to drive straight through with very limited stops with an average speed of 70 miles per hour to make it there and back in the timeline. I mean, that's kind of what I thought. I thought it was a pretty small timeline as well. So, I mean, I don't think it's impossible. No. But it definitely, I mean, is I mean, an average speed of 70. Like, I, it's all highways, obviously, to go from one side of the country to the other. Mm-hmm. But an average of 70, like, that means that a lot of the time he'd have to be going faster than 70. Right. To account for the stops of getting gas and maybe traffic or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, I'm not an expert in that by any means, but. I mean, yeah, I guess. Well, because you said he would have had to have. Okay, so he supposedly left when? The third or fourth. Okay. And returned when? Is that what I said? Third or fourth? Maybe it's fourth or fifth. I thought it was, I'm, I'm not sure, honestly. I took a screenshot of the timeline. Hold on. What was the town? Bakersfield, California, right? Yeah, so I have, like, how long it would take. It would take 32 hours to get from Bakersfield, from Columbus to Bakersfield. It would take 32 hours with no stops. Right, okay. Kind of crazy, because you said it was, like, 2,300 miles, right? Mm-hmm. So from here, like, from my house, it's, well, I mean, I guess, it's 2,500 miles. It's, like, 2,492 miles from here to Bakersfield, California. Yeah. And it says it would take 44 hours. Yeah, that's a lot. So that's kind of crazy. Yeah, so this timeline says that he left either the third or the fourth. But Melvin says that, like, he was with him all day and, like, there's, like, proof of that. And that he didn't see him from the fourth on. So. Okay. Third, fourth, fifth, somewhere in there. But it said he returned on, like, the seventh, right? 
Yeah, the night of the seventh. Cool. I feel like that's totally doable. I mean, yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's well. I mean, it's doable, but so that's three days. That's seventy-two hours. It's sixty-four hours of driving with no stops. But he would have had to stop. He had to get gas. Right. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I just think it's doable, but okay. It's just, I mean, I think it's doable. It's not completely impossible, but it's just really tight. Yeah, it's definitely tight. He would have had to drive 32 hours with very minimal stops, kill his family, drive 32 hours back in order to leave Tuesday. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless his liar for brother's lying. Yeah. I mean, but I think there was um, like receipts and stuff. They were together at some point on the third. Okay, but they could have been together on the morning of the third, and he left at noon. I mean, I'm just saying, his right. brother's his. You can't trust his brother as far as you can throw him. So, right, yeah, his brother clearly is lying for him. Yeah. So, okay, continue. Okay. Anyways, so they said that um, they the defense brought in the reality, not reality, rental car company, who admitted that the mileage might not be accurate. They said that they don't really verify the mileage, and they just take people's word. So the person before him could have lied. So they didn't get overages or whatever. Okay. So maybe he didn't really drive that many miles that they can't be 100% sure. Okay. So not that it's definitely not true, but they can't say one way or the other because they don't verify. The defense also brought in their own bug expert who said that it was possible that those bugs could have ended up in the Midwest. They could have caught a ride on another vehicle and then just happened to end up on Vincent's. I mean, I guess. Seems like a far stretch to me. I agree. Uh, Melvin went on the stand to say that the police bullied him into changing his story to fit their narrative. He says that the police made him say Vincent told him to use the credit card and say that he couldn't account for his whereabouts because if he didn't, they would arrest him for accessory to and his whole family would suffer. But that's not true. Vincent didn't make him use the credit card. He was just using it. And that he was with him the whole weekend. Again, the police just made him lie. Okay. The next witness was supposed to be his other brother, Trey. So, they broke for lunch. Trey was in the courtroom before lunch. They went to lunch. They came back. Trey was nowhere to be found. So, Trey just disappeared. Cool. Um, the defense tried to say that they decided last minute not to use Trey. That he had a criminal record and things weren't going well already. So, they just thought that would go against them. And that's why they didn't use him. But, I don't know. It seems to me like he just kind of disappeared. He decided, like, mm, I don't want to do this. I'm going to leave. Right, this isn't going well. I better not testify. Yeah. Okay. So instead, they let Vincent get on the stand. Okay. That didn't go very well. I mean, it's not normally a very good idea when you're being accused of murdering your family. No, usually not. So, okay. So pretty much the whole time, he just, like, smirked, and he didn't really answer their questions. He just, like, was not being cooperative at all. The only thing that he would really answer is he would talk about how much he loved Joni and his kids. Okay. So after three days of deliberation on May 15th, 2007, the jury found Vincent Brothers guilty of five counts of first-degree murder. On September 27th, 2007, Vincent Brothers was sentenced to death, and he's currently still being held on death row in San Quentin State Prison in California. Of course he is. He has tried to appeal, but um, I really couldn't find anything other than it was denied. Right. So, like I said, don't like that case. So what do you think? You think he did it? Kind of seems to me like you don't think he did. I don't know. I mean, I think I don't not think he did it. Okay. But I think that I think there's a possibility that he could have not done it. And sending him sentencing him to death 
think that's a little extreme. I think there's not enough evidence to sentence him to death. Yeah. Like, there's only circumstantial evidence. Right. No it physical. is. It is all circumstantial. Yeah. I mean, honestly, though, like, what kind of physical evidence would they even get? Like, he was married to them. His DNA would be all over that house. Not to them, but to Joni. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't like that. I mean, they could have found a murder weapon. Yeah. I mean, they, they didn't, but, like, had they? Okay, but, like, if he drove across the country, he very easily could have thrown the murder weapon out the window, and they're never going to find oh, it. Oh, right. Right. I mean, he covered never. miles and miles and miles of highway. Right. Like, they're never going to find it. I mean, which I'm sure is what he did. Right. If he did it. So, I don't love Family Annihilators. I hate Family Annihilators, but they just... Ugh, I don't know. Like, I just find them so interesting. I feel like this also is not, like, your typical family annihilator. Like, no, I really don't feel like he has a lot of, like, motive. Like, it could possibly be child support. But, like, that's not a very solid motive. I mean, it's money-related, though. I mean, yeah, but I don't know. Nowhere did I find that he was, like, actually the vice principal of school. Nowhere he'd find that he was actually what? Like, financially, like, he was having financial issues. Right. I don't know. Like, he seemed to be doing pretty well. I don't know. Like, with his career. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much vice principals make, but I would assume they make okay money. I highly doubt that. I don't think anyone in the public school system makes any kind of good money. Well, this is also in, like, Ohio, so northern states typically make more money in school, don't they? I mean, did he not live in California? Oh, yeah. Sorry. I don't know why I said Ohio. He was in Ohio, supposedly, at the time of the murders. So, I don't know. I'm just really conflicted on the whole thing. Like... I very well think it's possible he could have done it, but at the same time, I think it's possible that maybe he didn't do it. It didn't really seem like they investigated anyone else other than him. Yeah. I think there's a lot of circumstantial stuff against him, but... I don't know. According to Google, vice principals in California make anywhere from $40,000 to $140,000 a year, so... Well, that is a big discrepancy. Right, so I'm not sure what kind of money he's making. (laughs) It's a huge difference. I don't know. Regardless, either way... He should not have done murdering his family. Unacceptable. No. I mean, yes, it is. I think that's why family annihilators are so intriguing to me is because anyone that kills people is a piece of trash. But it takes a special kind of piece of trash to murder your children and spouse. Like, that's yeah. what gets me. Especially because a majority of the time it's a man. I mean, sometimes women do it, but most of the time it's a man. And like... I'm married with children and like my husband, I see him as the protector of our home. Right. And the fact that like you can take that vow to your wife and that you can have children with someone and then kill them all for no good reason. Right. Like they never have a good reason. I mean, there's never a good reason to kill people, but like <sighs> there's specifically no good reason for them to kill their wife and children. Like it's never no an acceptable reason. Especially not kids. Family annihilators. though, they get me, man. They scare, they terrify me. Like I find, I find them absolutely terrifying. And that's like one thing that like really interests me is like the psych of them, or like the psych of all killers. But like I don't get the psych of family annihilators. Same. They're just crazy. I don't get it either. And like I, I just always wonder, like, did the wives know that they were crazy? That they were like going to kill them? I don't know. Like, did they have? Mm-hmm. Were there signs? Yeah, I don't know. Or if it was just like completely, just out of the blue. Yeah, like, the one person you're supposed to trust the most. Right. I mean, for everyone involved, though. I mean, because, like, as a spouse, like, you're supposed to be able to trust your spouse. And as a child, you should be able to trust your parents. That's what I'm saying. Like, either way, it's the one person you're supposed to trust the most. Disgusting. 
hate it. And for him to like, you know, like he killed Joni and then two kids and then the grandma and then came back and killed the other one. Like that poor baby. Them poor babies. I don't know. I mean, yes, all of them. Like it sucks for all of them. But like that last one, like knew what was going on. Like, how could you do that? I don't know. I don't know. The whole thing's disgusting, but definitely a weird case for you to do. That's for sure. Yeah, probably the only family in Adelaide I'll ever. Well, hopefully after that disgusting, disturbing case, you guys will all be back next week. Maybe we'll have a lighter one for you next week. Well, it's my turn, so I'm going to have to look into something. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard and want to support a small podcast, please give us money at www.patreon.com forward slash weekly dose of wicked where you can join one of our three tiers at the five dollar level we've got the moderately wicked for seven dollars a month we've got the awesomely wicked and for all of those high rollers big ballers out there we got the ten dollar level the extraordinarily wicked as a member of our patreon you are entitled to bonus episodes uh, you also get a one-time shout-out on our podcast, as well as some other cool little extra things going on there. So come on over. Join our fan club. Feel free to give us a follow on Instagram at weekly underscore dose underscore of underscore wicked, or you can literally just search weekly dose of wicked and we'll pop up because we're the only ones. For a direct feed of our podcast, please go to www.weeklydoseofwicked.buzzsprout.com Great news! You can now listen to us pretty much wherever you like to listen to podcasts. That's right, folks. We are big time. You can now hear your Weekly Dose of Wicked on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Plus Alexa, Podcast Addict, Podchaser, Pocket Cast, Deezer, Listen Notes, Player FM, Podcast Index, Overcast, Castro, CastBox, and PodFriend. The only place we can't seem to get ourselves on is Pandora. So we'll let you know when that happens. In the meantime, make sure to come back next Wednesday for your Weekly, weekly Dose, dose of, of Wicked. wicked. But I'm... Um,